0: And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Jason Hewlett, best-selling author, journalist, and broadcaster. He's the director and co-creator of the award-winning paranormal reality series, We Want to Believe, and the narrator for the UFO Show, both which are on the Paranormal Network. He has a book out on near-death experiences, which we will talk about today and more. Jason, thank you so much for being my guest and welcome.
1: Thanks so much for having me on, Jeff. It's great to be here.
0: Jason, how did you get interested in near-death experiences in the first place?
1: Well, it's funny, like it's it's one of those because uh one of my hobbies is I'm a I'm a paranormal investigator. So I've always been interested in, in what happens when we die. Uh, And part of that, I was interested in it as a kid. So it was one of just something I've always had a fascination with, you know, like watching old shows, like in search of and unsolved mysteries and sightings, you know, and just growing up in an area with reported Bigfoot activity. It's just something I was always fascinated with. Um, But my father passed away when I was 19 and he died of a heart attack. And that kind of really kicked off, you know, wondering what happens when we die, like, is, is death the end? Or does something continue on? And I'd had, you know, ghostly experiences, you know, been in places where there's could have been haunting activity and had unexplained stuff happen. Um, So that was kind of built the foundation of being, having an interest in paranormal and paranormal investigation, which I I started doing about 20 years ago, but doing it like quote unquote professionally since 2017 as part of a group, you know, working with Peter, et cetera. And we, we had written, we were, we'd written a book about Peter's life uh, called, I want to believe one man's journey into the paranormal. And we were writing a second book. And while writing the second book, we were interviewing various other paranormal investigators about their interests and theories, et cetera. And we were interviewing an investigator out of New York named Angela Artuso. And when she was telling her story, she told of an experience she had that was a near-death experience, basically. And it was so compelling and and also kind of frightening and, and, and also a little bit like, you know, Enlightening, And it was one of those, when we finished the interview and logged off and Peter's like, wow, that was great. And I said, yeah, I said, Peter, we we can't put that story in this book. We need to write a book about near-death experiences because there's just, it would, that story was so compelling that it would become lost in the shuffle of all the other stories just about paranormal investigators journeys. But if we could tell it as part of a whole book on near-death experiences, I think it would be better served. And so we pitched it to our publisher, which is Beyond the Fray Publishing. And they liked the idea and we were contractually obligated to write a third book. So that became the next book, which in the end became dying light. Uh, And it's, yeah. And so that's really where it kicked off. And then doing this book to research it. I mean, we started work on it last October, you know, it took months like a lot longer to research because it wasn't just simply telling stories. I wanted to kind of try to cover off just what is death and kind of the, for lack of a better word, the death experience. So we talked about, we interviewed people who had like near-death experiencers, a grief counselor, like a neurologist, you know, a, a, a you know, physicist, um, and, and also just, you know, getting into past lives, like reincarnation, and just trying to kind of give this whole overview of what, what death could be and what happens to us when we die.
0: I'm sure you've seen quite a few similarities in the near-death experience. Have you guys ever mapped out like the stages of an NDE? Like, first you leave your body, then you go to the black void, then you may go through the tunnel, and then you may go out into the universe, or et cetera, et cetera,
1: or anything like that? Well, what we kind of learned, and I mean, it was what helped is Peter actually had a near death experience himself, right? Like, he'd, he'd had a liver uh, transplant, and right before the transplant, he'd basically flatlined. And his experience was had the similarities that you get but what we found writing this book is despite their similarities the experience is also very subjective depending on the person and and what their life experience is and their spiritual background and whether they're an atheist or a catholic and one of one of the interviews was with lynn russell who was a researcher Mm -hmm. um into near-death experiences and she's wrote written a couple books herself and she investigated 2500 cases of near-death experiences and she kind of provide a good insight and yeah there are there is sort of the stages where you know for some where you do that sensation you, you have the out-of-body experience and then there's the tunnel experience with the light and then there's you know the, the other beings that are present and and sometimes that that too is very subjective one of the people we interviewed in the book saw someone that was he was raised catholic and that being looked a lot like like jesus you know what i mean and then another woman um mary helen hensley it was like old people because she'd always had an affinity for, for older people. Right. And then, then there's Angela's, which was like a man in black and she didn't have, but she didn't have the tunnel and she didn't have the out of body experience. And she was for all intents and purposes awake the whole time, but she was basically dead. So it, there was, that's what I found most fascinating is that, that every case is a little bit different despite the cylinder, even the light changes, you know, from like a dark light to a white light to a clear light. It was really fascinating how like there's despite some being very similar, there was no two that were completely alike.
0: How have you personally changed after writing this
1: book? I, it was, I changed quite a bit, actually, in terms of my, my view of everything. <laughs> you know, I think that's what I found most striking. Like I, what I discovered is that even though I haven't had a near-death experience, like I've never flatlined or anything like that, I had like a spiritual experience that very much mirrored a gentleman named Peter Panagor. Mm-hmm. It's part of his near-death experience. And in his, he was talking about, he like he did the whole where he ended up in the universe. Do you know what I mean? And was expanded to the huge and then contracted and could see kind of the world. But when he decided he didn't want to continue and was basically flicked back to life, he went into this place where he was kind of going back down a tunnel. And there's a bunch of different doorways that could lead. You could kind of go to any life you wanted when you went back. And I had this spiritual experience one night where I'd kind of was relaxing in the basement. And I'd kind of gone outside to get some air. It was November. So it was cool. And I climbed into bed and as soon as I got into bed, just something was wrong. And I just felt almost like I was going to leave my body. And you know, I was freezing, like I was freezing cold. Like I'd been outside for hours. And basically this, it was the same thing. I was kind of, I closed my eyes and there was like this, all these options came open to me. And this voice was saying at this point, you can go wherever you want. You can go to a life where you married someone else. You could go to a life where your father didn't die. All these different opportunities. You, you choose where you, what kind of life you want from here on in. And I was freaking out, you know, because I've been married for, you know, that point, 12 years. I had like, you know, an eight-year-old son. I didn't want to leave it. But it was just so I was like, no, I want to come back. I want to come back. And my wife basically had to hold me because I was crying and losing it. And she's like, where were you? Like, I was outside for maybe a minute. But she says, you're free. Like, your whole body is ice cold and you're freezing. And I just was shaking violently. And uh, I kind of eventually calmed down and fell asleep, but I've never forgotten that. Hmm. So I don't know what happened, but it was very much like a part of like a near death where you kind of, you can now go on to wherever you want to go in life. You can pick a different reality. You can pick a different, and hearing Peter talk about that just was like getting hit in the head with a hammer. Like I kind of, I didn't die, but I had an experience. that was almost like a partial part of what these other people are experiencing. And that kind of, to me, opened up a whole world of possibilities of what is going on around us.
0: Well, you're up in Canada and if it's the winter time, you know, it could be freezing or below freezing cold. Did you just step out and get the newspaper or something and get super cold or what?
1: I was just, I was, it was, I was in downstairs in the basement. We had the fire going. So it was hot. I was getting ready to go to bed. I went upstairs. I went, just went and stood on the back deck just to look around. And it was like a, it was November. So it was like, it was just above zero. So it wasn't, and I was outside, you know, just like, okay, you know, take a good inhale of breath, kind of just cool cool down a bit and then get ready to go brush my teeth and, and, you know, go to bed. But it was something when I came back inside and started, you know, getting changed and brushing my teeth and taking my contacts out, just something I felt that there's this weird shift in my body, something changed. Mm-hmm. And then by the time I laid down, everything was just starting. I okay. starting to shiver. Like it wasn't, I've been outside and I was clothed. So I shouldn't have been as cold as I was. And my wife, I said, you feel like you've been for hours,
0: hmm. like outside. Well, maybe you did have some kind of NDE-like experience. I had a guest one time that was doing a sweat lodge out in the desert of California, and um, I don't know what the temperature is inside there, but you know it's obviously pretty hot. And he came out of the lodge, and it was a desert night, so it was cool at night. I don't think it was freezing, but probably that change in temperature. May have been very similar to yours, and it just kind of threw his body through a loop, and yours as well. And maybe um, your your spirit didn't like it and popped out for a while.
1: Maybe, uh, and it was frightening at the time. And I, I've had like a lot of experiences with death. I was a crime reporter for ten years, uh, and so you know I've seen all manner of nasty things and experienced vicarious trauma. So I think your my brain, you know, is open to. Different possibilities, and was always kind of very concerned about what happened. So maybe that too, that but something happened. My body didn't like that. You know, you contemplate a lot of these kind of things, anyways, and it just it opened up my idea. And you know, I've, you know, as a paranormal investigator, you automatically open to the possibility of life after death, anyway. So maybe it was like the universe kind of showing me something, mm-hmm. and that really was. It, I've never that shook me up for a very long time and I've never forgotten it. And so it was interesting to talk with Peter about his experiences and hear about that. And now, yeah, I just view life, the universe as just a very different place, a very wondrous place. Um, and I've kind of become a big, we talk about a lot in the book is like the whole multiverse theory and kind of the different views And do you go, when you die in one plane, do you go to a different reality? You know what I mean? Or mm-hmm. are you having these experiences? So I think I've become way more spiritual, um, having written the research and written this book.
0: Do you feel that that experience spiritually transformed you in any
1: way? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I know now after having that, that like, I'm, I'm not scared of dying, which a lot of people who have near death experiences too, once they have, it's like, cool, man, sign me up when it, when it's my time, I'm completely okay with it. Cause you're not worried at all. So I've kind of come out of it that way. Um, I feel I felt a lot more at peace with things after that. And it sort of helped in terms of the people I've lost in my life. Like grief kind of lessens a bit because you know that they're they're somewhere else and you can kind of talk to them when, when you want to, like there's a lot of, there's a few people we talked to in the book um, about how like through meditation, you can almost change your vibrational frequency and go to these places. Anyways, it's just a different, plane of existence more than anything and i know when i've kind of done my meditations i've received insight you know from relatives and and you know even like i thought it was corny at first but you know your, your angels and your guides well no now that i definitely know that there are people that, that i am convinced there are these other beings out there that are in touch and they're keeping an eye on you and you know and like you know my father's around and you can kind of tap into his wisdom if you need to you just kind of got to quiet yourself enough and uh just have that patience and just sort of almost change your vibrational frequency for lack of a better word
0: when you were experiencing that did it seem dreamlike or did it seem more real than even our reality here or something It felt different? more
1: real because you I know mean, when you dream you dream right like in and it's i think sometimes even when you dream you're tapping into like you know your subconscious or experiences you had in a past life etc or, or or currently having in a different Plane of existence, but that felt real. I think that's what scared me so bad. It almost maybe drove like the shivering and the cold. Is just like, this is real. Like this is this. I'm not dreaming this. I haven't even laid down to go to sleep yet, and this is happening. This is real, and it felt hyper real. You know. And what was weird about it is the voice wasn't threatening. It was just. It was very calm and very compassionate and very. But it's like you have a choice. Like you can choose right now what you want. Right. Like you, you spend your life wondering. Well, what happened? If I had done this instead or that, well, you can find out now if you want, but you're leaving here. So how much do you, you know, what, what's more important? I just remember making that decision. No, I like my life right now. I like being with my wife and I like my son and I like, you know, the, the life we've got and I don't want to go.
0: Do you think you were just hearing the voice or did you actually feel the voice as well? As like, you know, a part of you.
1: It, it, that's a really good question. Um, because it, it felt like it was just there you know what I mean like it didn't feel I, it, it, it kind of felt like it was inside my head so it wasn't like something standing separate but there so I guess in a way it would be like this, this oneness really it was like just something that was just there with me at the time possibly even inside me um,
0: was it a separate voice from your own like a compl- com- some, like a male or with a deeper voice or a female or
1: yeah it was definitely not like you know we have our inner our inner monologues with ourselves it was Mm -hmm. definitely not me talking Mm -hmm. Uh, it was something else it was male for lack of a better word it was sort of more like an angelic sound Mm -hmm. right like it just wasn't like deeper baritone it was just something a little bit higher lighter for lack of a better word um yeah, which I which again tied into when researching the book, a lot of the voices, and it was always telepathic. Most of the time it's telepathic communication, right? So it almost felt like one of those telepathic communications that these experiences have had with something. And it was very much that similar voice. Like it was a voice, you know, like with love and compassion and and kindness. So it was never like threatening. Um, that's why with Angela's story, it was different because they communicated like we're communicating, lips were moving, etc., with this this man in black, but it was still a very even though the man in black was frightening, it was still very calming, mm-hmm. et cetera. So yeah, it was, that's the only way I can explain it. I felt like I kind of had had an experience akin to what was in this book, but without at least as far as I know, anything traumatic causing my body to, to switch off. It was just this sudden shift in existence kind of for whatever reason, maybe if you say from hot to cold, like, you know, it's warm, you go outside, your body gets a little bit of a shock. Like when you jump into a very cold body of water, right?
0: Right and yeah. you didn't see the being you just heard it
1: just heard it and and almost the only thing i really saw was like just almost like that tunnel and and just these different portals or doorways or other separate tunnels that you could just that could just slide into if i chose to
0: who do you think the being was
1: i don't know <laughs> that that and i still don't i mean it could it have just been that kind of this divine entity people talk about? Like that's one way that they describe it or like just the, you're talking to the universe or could it have been like a guide, like a, one of my spirit guides? I still don't know. Um, it was interesting that it, it happened. Yeah. And the timing of it was really interesting too. Like there was nothing so much, but it had been after the death of my mother. So it was about a month. After she had passed away, like maybe even three weeks, so maybe that that too was on my mind. She had just passed away. her and I had had a tumultuous relationship, weren't that close when she passed, and it could have just been part of me just processing that and that might have triggered it too, right like it's just it's just really really an interesting thing um that kind of came I guess at a time when I needed to have that kind of experience.
0: Has either one of your parents ever visited you in your dreams?
1: Yeah, my father had. He has a couple times. Um, and I remember because he died when I was 19. So it was 1991. <clears throat> and it was about three or four years before I even had a dream where he was in it. We were just driving on the highway going somewhere. And I, I, it was so many years ago now, it's hard to recall. Then I remember he didn't show up again until about 2017 and I was sort of applying for a new job. I had the interview the next day. I just had a dream where I was, I was back in the house that I grew up in and the dream was nothing sort of special. It was just something, there was some family gathering and we were talking and I remember I came in the dream. It was like first person. It was me and I was coming out of the kitchen and he just sort of stepped in front of me and said, Hey guy. And it started and I woke up because he just was so rare. Like I just woke right up and I was just like looking around, like wondering what the heck could just happen. Um, but it was funny, like it's, it was shocking, but it kind of gave me pieces. Like he was just stepping in and just saying, Hey, I'm still here. You know, you're kind of on the right path. Like just, you know, he always would say, just roll with it. Right. Like just roll with the punches kind of thing. So it was, I thought that was really interesting. He's only shown up twice. Hmm. Um, and then my mother hasn't, although I've had people say like, you know, people who are, who are psychic say that she's been around and I can kind of sometimes feel her, her influence although she doesn't show up in a dream but i can feel her influence and we always fought a lot so it almost seems like she brings some conflict into my existence still from time to time just making me second guess things or question things or or what have you for whatever reason um so yeah it's it's interesting um to have those kind of experiences after they've passed on
0: from what i've Learned so far. It seems like, you know, either a person is just kind of dreaming about someone who's transitioned over in a way that maybe they're processing their past relationship with them or it's an actual visitation. Mm -hmm. And I was just kind of curious if, you know, you felt like your father's or mother's was an actual visitation or you were just processing
1: some old, you know, issue out between you two. I, I think with the father, it seemed more like a processing. Although it was interesting to have him show up in that, and all he did was come in and say hi, and that was literally it. It was over. Um, with with mom, it has been more of a visitation. I think the few times, um, I know the house, that house that I grew up in, I stayed in it after he had passed away, and he had built the house, like for for you know the family kind of thing. And I, there was there was times when like his the whole basement was his workshop, and if you went down there, you could even feel his presence there. And I had someone who was a builder who I let use the workshop after he died And a good, like 10 years later. And he would go down there to do some work and would just say, he just felt someone else down there with him, like the whole time watching, almost critiquing. Cause dad was like a master builder. He built houses for a living. Right. And just kind of what, well, what are you doing? Kind of thing. And that's wrong <laughs> you know, kind of thing like that. And he would, they, I would find it uncomfortable yet. There'd be times when you'd I'd hear things move in the house or even the heavy footsteps, like what he would have, even though there was nobody there. Um, so I think he hung around that house. And one of the most profound experiences I had is I was, a buddy of mine was visiting. I was living in the home, just myself. He was visiting and staying there for a couple of days. And we were talking about, you know, because he knew I believed in the paranormal. And so he was asking questions and he was talking about Dad a bit. And he'd never met my father. He says, well, do you ever think that, you know, he's ever still around or comes back? And I, And when he said that, all the lights in the house went out, but the street lights stayed on, and you can see out the window that other houses had their lights on. And Dad could be a bit of a practical joker, so for whatever reason, I said out loud, "Like not right now, Dad," and then mm-hmm. all the lights in the house came back on. Wow! Yeah. So that'd be the one confirmed visitation I believe that I really actually had from him, kind of thing. And yeah, I thought that was really pretty wild.
0: Maybe he has a really strong attachment to that house and makes him want to, you know, stick around and see what's going on with the house and trying to take care of it.
1: I'd, I'd really like to figure out a way to go back to the people who purchased it and are living there now and ask if they've had any activity happened, right? Like if it, they still feel like there's something there or mm-hmm. not, right? I think that would be really interesting um, to see if he's still there.
0: That may be a legal issue because they're going to say, why didn't you disclose that there's a ghost in the place before you sold it to us?
1: Exactly, right? I mean, we sold it in 2003, so the paranormal wasn't quite as prominent in pop culture at the time. So I think those rules have come in since then. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I would kind of really... I'd like to figure out how to do that because I'm really curious if that, if activity has continued on, like we've been out of there almost 20 years now. So if they've had anything happen that they can't explain, or maybe dad was just like, ah, the family's gone, I'm out. You know what I mean? I'm just, I'm done.
0: So in your research of NDEs, did you come across negative or hellish NDEs
1: as well? No, that was the one thing that we didn't come across any that were that were negative, the closest Could have been Angela's case just because this man in black. Like her, her story. She was on her way to work. Her mom was driving. She was sort of in the passenger seat, taking notes. She worked at a hospital, so she was kind of figuring out her day. And they were t boned, and the the vehicle, the truck, hit her side, and pushed them across the road. And somehow, while that happened, she had because it was winter. She had a scarf around her neck, and that scarf became caught up in the grill of the truck that hit them. So she was getting strangled with that, and somehow. Before she could pass away, at least she could tell that that scarf came undone, but she was in the vehicle, all wrecked. Her mother was not hurt. So she got out to get help. And well, Angela's there and she's convinced that if she closes her eyes, she's dead. Like that, that's it. She looks over though. And this man and literally a man in black is sitting in the vehicle and he's like all dressed in black. His eyes are black. He's got porcelain white skin and slick black back, black hair. And he's just sitting there and doesn't even look at her. And she kind of asks, like, who are you kind of thing? And you know, am I dying? And all the, the man would really say is, you're going to be okay. It's not your time. But he was kind of a frightening visage, right? Even though he's speaking calmly and everything like that, he's quite, quite scary. And this man in black stays with her while the paramedics come, get her out of the vehicle, load her into an ambulance. He's even in the ambulance at that point and holding onto her hand, saying, it's okay, it's not your time. They get to the hospital. They pull her out of the ambulance, and she's like, "Where's the man? Where's the man that was with me?" And they're like, "There was no one else with you. It was just you and the paramedic in the vehicle." But she figures this man is gives this man, man in black, credit for keeping her alive because he was sort of there, communicating with her, ensuring she didn't fall asleep, even bringing her comfort. Um, And that one's like she and she remembers feeling quite frightened by him and by that experience. But in the end, it was still a positive experience and that's the closest we got to anything negative um when i was interviewing lynn russell she talked about some that would be where the people felt like once they died they ended up in in, in like a hell or a place with fire etc but literally that was kind of a, a hell of their own making they believed they were very religious so they believed that if they weren't worthy to go to heaven they would go to a hell and then as soon as they started recant- like saying no or like you know singing it's like, saying verses from the Bible or seeing, you know, like Jesus loves me this. I know they would leave that place and go up the tunnel to what would technically be like a heaven. And so those are the only case cases where there was anything negative. And those again, were the subjective due to the people's belief system.
0: So after doing all these interviews and such, have you come to any conclusion about what is the point that we come here and reincarnate over and over for?
1: Yeah, I, I'm of the belief system after talking to all these people that we kind of, we come back to correct, like we're this experience. Cause if, when you go to this other side, um, you're kind of just all part of one great being, like you have your kind of individual identities, but you're all connected and it's a very, it's a big positive place of peace and love and contentment. So we're here to kind of learn about duality. And differences, and to kind of experience different emotions and 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 sort out different conflicts and just sort of to evolve as people, and we come back to correct mistakes we made in those past lives because when you're on the other side, you go through that past life review that that a lot of, a lot of people talk about that, um and some say you go it's like a review center or some say you're just showing your different you know experiences and you see where you've treated people well and you see where you've treated people poorly and you get a chance to kind of fix those mistakes and you feel what the other people feel who you've wronged so this is all just kind of a way to learn just what it's like to be alive and and to be people and and to interact with other people and when you've done something wrong or that's or created a big enough mistake you get to go back and interact with these people again in a different life probably potentially in a different relationship so that you can fix those mistakes so it's like karma, basically. And once you've kind of fixed your mistakes, you get to move on to that and stay at that, that higher plane of existence. Mm-hmm. And that makes a lot of sense to me, just from the research, you know, from my own experiences. Um, Because it's, you know, when you meet people in life that you feel like you've, I've known this person before, you you instantly you connect with them. You know, you've just met them or you meet someone and you just hate their guts with no particular reason why you should hate this person's guts. Um, I, that's because you've interacted with them before. Like there, there's these certain souls you do travel with through life, um, and, and interact with in various different relationships and ways. And it changes from life to life until you kind of figure out your mistakes and figure out what works and you kind of get on your right path in life. And eventually that trip does end somewhere.
0: Yeah. You're the narrator of the UFO show. Have you ever combined NDEs and UFOs? And what do I mean by that is, have you ever come across anybody who has seen aliens during their NDE?
1: No, I didn't while researching this book, but it did come up. Um, uh, we talked to a gentleman named David Bettenhausen, and he mentioned how the the near-death experience and the the alien abduction experience are very, very similar, right? You kind of feel like you've left your body. There's these, these beings that show up. There's quite often this light. Um, and I thought that was really interesting. And that's something I'd like to explore more, I think, if we were to ever write a second book on this subject, because there's a lot of literature about it out there. And there, he sort of suggested that it's it's a spiritual experience more than any kind of physical, actual abduction experience. Um, how that fits in, though, to the lore, like I haven't figured that out yet, other than there's people that are having these very similar experiences. Um, I think it's, it's, it seems fascinating to me. I've had a, how similar they are.
0: I've had a couple guests that have traveled to what they call the water planet during their NDE and it's basically obviously fish-like beings on that planet. Can't really say mermaids or anything, but you know obviously you got to live in water. And yep. um, I'm pretty sure I've had a couple that during their NDE been in contact with non-human intelligences. I know one for sure that a lady was talking to either God or Jesus. She was basically told she's going back. And then she thought she was going back. And then the next thing she was on a UFO with gray aliens. Oh, wow. <laughs> and then she was walking around and then they finally said, you got to go now. And then she popped back into her body.
1: Wow. And I, I've heard like, just through, you know, Having an interest in UFOs as well. That happens quite a bit, right? Like, like you just, okay, we're done. And you just sort of show up mm-hmm. back at home. And sometimes you've even moved, like you're in a different room than when when you were when you went to sleep, or it's it's crazy. And there's people who have had those experiences and look, and there's like Sasquatch on on the, the ship as well, right? Which is a whole different wow. topic of conversation. But it's just enough people are having these experiences that there's something, you know what I mean? There's something to them. You can't ignore them as part of. The lore, for lack of a better a better word, that there's there's something to it. Like, I mean, did we come from beings from another planet? You know what I mean? Like, there's, there's UFOs have been described in the Bible, like you know, and, and then the Egyptians talked about chariots of the gods, so they've been around as long as we have. And there's people. There's even enough sort of research out there to, to suggest that they first started the different, you know, the Mesopotamian cultures and societies, the Mayans, etc., or at least helped them along. So why wouldn't they be like the beings that we're seeing in near-death experiences?
0: And I've sometimes thought about that perhaps whatever realm that is that we go to, whatever frequency, whatever dimension that we go to once we leave the body, that perhaps ETs also like to inhabit that realm. And perhaps if they're not traveling in Wormholes to get here. Maybe they travel in that realm at the speed of thought or the speed of consciousness to travel those long distances.
1: They they could, right? And then they kind of pop into our our reality by changing that vibrational frequency just a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, John Keel talked a lot about you know, ultraterrestrials and the, the the I think he called it the ultraverse or something like that. And it's like a parallel universe to ours, and these beings show up. In various different forms, be it UFOs or like Mothmen, etc., like these Men in Black, which are just a bit bizarre versions of ourselves, that they've been interacting with us forever for whatever reason. He never kind of figured it out, but I mean that that could explain a lot of different phenomenon that we have, and it could explain why when why these experiences are so subjective too. You know, in theory, if we pass over and when we die into this other realm, have a near death experience, they would take on the forms of whatever was familiar enough to us that we believed in. If we were you know, like Jesus, if you're super Catholic or like a dead relative of yours, if that's sort of more, your belief system aligns with that, or that's what you're kind of comfortable with. So it's fascinating. Like it, it I think the, the, the NDE is just sort of a tip, like with all the paranormal stuff, like ghosts or Sasquatch, they're just the tip of a bigger iceberg. Um, you- and the answer's out there.
0: Have you checked out the new Star Trek series? I think it's Discovery.
1: I've, so I've been watching a lot of Strange New Worlds mm. is the one I've been watching so far. A little bit of Discovery. My wife's a big Dis- Star Trek fan, so she's seen all the Discovery.
0: All right. Well, that's kind of interesting. And it's kind of along the same way that now they're traveling you know, in the, within that conscious realm. And they could, you know, instead of warp drive, they just instantaneously go from one place to
1: another. Oh, Wow. That's sort of in the newer seasons of it? That's brand
0: new, and and I think eventually it breaks and they can't do it anymore. But that's kind of the whole premise of how they're traveling.
1: Interesting. Just with thought, like we're going to go here, well, and so they go there.
0: it kind of, you know, they hook up the engineer to some device and he can somehow go into some kind of conscious realm with some other beings. It's interesting that they, he has to connect them to like fungi or something, and then they just they somehow can navigate to where they go. Once that's all figured out, you know, they go from here to there instantaneously.
1: That's wild. I, I think I have seen a couple of those episodes because I remember the, there was some weird monster thing in the drive engine and it would send them places right really quick. Yeah. Okay. So I've seen like a, a couple of them where they were doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Maybe it's some kind of soft disclosure and finally kind of getting us to the next level through Star
1: Trek. Well, there's a lot of talk that these, that's kind of what happens with these sci-fi shows, right that Independence Day was sort of like a little bit of like, well, if they come, they might not be friendly. so it's preparing mm-hmm. you for the you know the, the thought process that that could happen or you know, when Spielberg put together Close Encounters of the Third Kind, that was very much locked into what the UFO lore of the 70s was about, right? Like it was very realistic
0: mm-hmm. yeah.
1: that way and it's, yeah, I find it that, that that thought that possibility fascinating.
0: Yeah, I think even that character in the third and um, Close Encounters of the Third Time, Third Kind, was based on Jacques Vallée.
1: Yes. Yeah, there, there was the the one researcher who was very much, they based him on. Yeah, it's neat to watch it again. Like, as a kid, I watched and I just thought it was neat because of the spaceships, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. But now, like, as someone who's been interested in this stuff for, you know, four decades, it's kind of fascinating to watch it through that lens as someone who is like, yeah, they really tried to make that possible. Mm-hmm. Even tying in the disappearance, I can't remember the name of the flight, but all the the pilots in the Bermuda Triangle, the the aircraft that had vanished, they tied it into that too, where they found the the airplanes again. I think that's at the beginning of the movie. Right. And then when the ship lands, all the pilots do come out and they haven't even aged, like they haven't aged at all. About a
0: month ago or so, there was a release of government reports, I think it was around 1100 pages of different UFO related subjects. And one of them was about that they were considering nuking the moon and go and to make a deep tunnel inside of the moon to see if there's a metal that is there, that it's just as strong as steel, but like a thousand times lighter. And they were also talking about wormholes and a bunch of other stuff. Did you happen to catch those reports that came out?
1: Not in any detail, because there's so much info that kind of comes out at these things, right? At- so not not like super amount of detail but i know i've heard different theories about that like with the moon that the, they've talked about that before and then of course the wormhole theory is a, one of the best ways to explain how a vessel can travel so far if they do physically travel through space mm-hmm. they just open up a wormhole and, and go through kind of like what frank herbert talked about in dune with folding space right um i i know there's theories about the moon that there's an alien base already on there perhaps it is an alien base and you go inside you know mm-hmm. you go inside it roland emmerich made a whole movie called moonfall about that just recently which was kind of interesting so i don't know what i think about the idea of nuking the moon to find out though like i don't know why we would want to do that considering how important it is to our gravity you know what i mean right. like it's i i think that's just kind of typically human to think of doing something like that but i hope we don't <laughs> like, mm-hmm. not let alone the nuclear radiation in space right like I don't know.
0: I have it. And it's, it's somewhere on my Facebook page, but not only was the article there, but it would bring up all those individual reports and you could sit down and read them.
1: I think the fact that they're releasing making stuff like that public is amazing that we've kind of hit that point. I mean, I guess it kind of started with that so-called disclosure a year ago. Mm. Um, but I think it shows that the government's been paying attention all along. um, And that they know that people out there aren't going to just stop talking about it. In fact, it's even more popular now than it's ever been. Um, I think even that the pandemic helped because people were at home and they were pondering these questions. And I think when you have something, it was the biggest experience we've had in kind of our, our generation, you start to wonder a bit if this is it and what more could be out there. And is there more to life than just this? So I think it's got a lot more people in a spiritual mindset. And I think, even though it's technically supposed to be aliens from other planet, I think that ties into spirituality in its own, in its own way. Cause it's kind of a part of the whole paranormal lore. So I think people are more in tune with wanting to know what's actually going on out there in the world mm. and how it's going to affect them. So if there are beings from other planets or other dimensions coming here, what does that mean? How are they interacting with us? What does it mean for our, our, our species and our future? Um, and I think sooner or later, we are going to find out all those answers. Uh, and I, and I just, you know, hope that it's an amicable <laughs> experience for everybody. Um, cause if they are from another dimension that means they, they've got capabilities beyond what we have, at least as far as we know, if they're from another planet or another solar system or even another universe, well, then they're far more advanced than we are. And I'd be curious to see how we handle that <laughs> when they do, when it does become common knowledge.
0: Do you think that the majority of ETs out there are good or all good or good and bad?
1: Well, I'm sure there's got to, it's like people, right? There's, there's a lot of good people and there's a lot of bad people. And there's a lot of people that like to shift back and forth, depending on what, how it suits them. I'm, I'm pretty sure that applies to anything. You know what I mean? There's always good and bad. I don't think, I think the belief that they are all good people with our best interests at heart. I, I don't buy into that. I also don't think they're all out there to enslave us and turn us into food either. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think they're just different beings. And I think we have maybe one of the reasons we haven't had more interactions because they're just more advanced than us. And we're just like that anthill that they pass by. You know what I mean? Like when we walk by an anthill and see a bunch of ants running around, I'm sure a lot of them just kind of go, oh, yeah, and just keep on about their business. But there's some I think that definitely do interact with us more. And maybe the ones that are trying to influence in some way, because you hear a lot about, these encounters, where they, especially, it happened during more of the '70s, where they would come and warn us that we're going to destroy ourselves if we keep along this path. Maybe, and it's just a theory, that those are the ones that were more engaged in us from the get-go, or, or that you know were the first to colonize us. The the aboriginals in the U.S. and Canada, and I'm sure in, everywhere in the world, talk a lot about their relationship with the star beings. So I'm sure that we had a lot more of a close relationship with them back then and maybe for whatever reason as we developed on our own way they've just let us go off and do our own thing but they check in from time to time
0: where are you on the Bob Lazar story do you believe that he's telling the truth or
1: not I think that with Lazar I think he like, like any of these things I think it, at first he was definitely he had a story to tell and I, and I think it was it was true but like a lot of people who kind of become a part of something like this you try to think for lack, I've got you know, you try to keep that narrative going, <laughs> I think somehow. And maybe it's just over the years become compounded upon and muddied and, and whatnot, in an effort to just kind of keep himself in the public consciousness and not be forgotten. Maybe some people just become very much addicted to that. Hmm. Um, but when you watch the early interviews with him that George Knapp did, yeah, I'd say like he was absolutely being honest. But now, you know, he kind of shows up in like Jerry Corbell documentaries and it's just like he's trying to keep that story going maybe beyond the point that it needs to for whatever reason even though he keeps saying that he doesn't want the attention but he doesn't want the right. attention yet he keeps showing up in documentaries you know what i mean like i think that's interesting if you really didn't want the attention you'd just go away you'd just just let your, let it die out
0: that's a good point maybe it's not about the attention maybe it's about the revenue if he gets a piece of that or who knows
1: i'm sure that ties in you know i'm sure that is the big it's a big motivator for a lot of people in the end if you start making money at it you don't want to want that revenue to go away right like right yeah i'm pretty much i mean you hear that with like ryan buell when he was hosting you know uh, paranormal state that was a big thing but he still surfaces from time to time trying to do ghost tours and stuff like that right i think you kind of like that Right. There's a bit of fame and notoriety. And I think if you do start to really enjoy it, you don't want it to to just to end.
0: Right. Do you think that uh, the U.S. government actually has ships?
1: I I'm pretty confident that they do. I'm pretty much sure that's where like the stealth bomber technology came from. Um, and other, you know, super spy planes. I'm pretty sure that's where these were sort of partially born out of that technology. Right. I think, you know, the Roswell crash was the beginning and then we've just since then, I'm sure there's parts of the government that are they're in communication with, with these beings, right? And that there's a sharing of technology to help us out along the way. Because some stuff, like we, we definitely felt like we had a period where we advanced very quickly, right? And now it feels like that's almost sort of stagnated a bit in the last few years for whatever reason. So it wouldn't surprise me that we had the craft and that craft was used to create all these wonderful new toys that we've got. And maybe now we've just sort of exhausted that at this point or are focused otherwise. But yeah, I think we definitely have alien craft.
0: You said something earlier that I thought was really interesting. And that was that Sasquatch was also on an alien ship and you live in the land of Bigfoot. So Mm -hmm. what is your take? Do you think there's an actual population of Bigfoot big feet. I'm not sure how you pluralize <laughs> I'm not that sure either,
1: actually. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> out there on the ground, because some people do report of seeing, you know, adolescent Bigfoot, or do you think that there are some kind of interdimensional beings that just kind of beam down from time to time and beam, beam out?
1: Well, I'm sure like, cause there have, like, you know, Albert Ostman talked about his whole experience where there was like a whole family of them. And I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure there's a population of these creatures out there in the woods, but the more I've kind of dug into it, I'm convinced that there is sort of a paranormal slash supernatural aspect to them. You know, and even like at Skinwalker Ranch, there's been sightings of portals opening and large creatures coming and going. And yeah, they've had UFOs experience going on at the same time as Sasquatch have been seen. And some Sasquatch have been seen coming in and out of craft. Right. So I'm, I think they kind of go back and forth. And I know our, our, our Aboriginal culture, especially where I live talks a lot about, you know, the, the little people and the Sasquatch, and these creatures that come through a, a doorway between worlds and they spend time here and then they go back to the other side. So I'm sure it's a creature that kind of just walks on both sides of that that plane and they spend time here and then they kind of go back back there, maybe regularly, maybe irregularly, but they definitely pass back and forth. I I, I had no longer, I was very much of the camp. It's a flesh and blood creature, a missing link, blah, blah, blah. But as the more I've dug into it, and research it and just talk to different people who research it and et cetera, that it's there's more to it than just that. Hmm. And that it's definitely there is a supernatural spiritual side to to the Sasquatch.
0: Since you're up there in Canada, have you actually ever met a person who has had a bigfoot encounter and, you know, will say something like, I'll I'll never
1: go hunting again because I'm just too freaked out about it? I've met people who have had Bigfoot encounters. It's not been enough to scare them out of the woods, but they definitely have a newfound respect for what, for what could be out there. Right. And they just take the precautions to hopefully not have that experience ever, ever again. One of them is a gentleman who is an Aboriginal and he, he believed in it before. And then when he saw it, it was just like, Holy cow. Um, it's real and it's huge. And it's to experience it, even if it isn't being threatening, it, it's a, it's a threatening experience because it's just something that's so big and just not what we're used to encountering like at all. So he goes very much respectful and gives an offering to the woods when he goes out there. You know what I mean? And one thing in his belief system, if you see it, like you go and you don't look back because if you look back, it can follow you home. So I remember he was telling me he had his experience and he just got back in his truck and he just drove and it took every effort to not look in the rear view to make sure it was still coming after him kind of thing. And he just drove straight back into town.
0: Hmm, That's interesting. All right. Besides your book, Dying Light, an investigation into near death experiences. You also have another book that we didn't talk about, and that's called I Want to Believe One Man's Journey into the Paranormal. Mm -hmm. And well, you kind of mentioned it actually in the beginning, but is that based mostly on your co writer's experience?
1: On Peter's experience, yeah, because he's, I met Peter in 2017 um, when he was the head of Vancouver Paranormal Society. And I was looking for something. I've always been a believer. And I was kind of just reading information, scrolling online one morning and saw they were doing a membership drive. And so I sort of applied and I, they brought me on to do an investigation. But Peter's been, he's from the UK. He's been doing this for the better part of 30 years. And he and I put together the, the documentary series, We Want to Believe. And when we were promoting that a couple of years ago, when we first launched, we ended up on Into the Fray podcast hosted by Shannon Legro. And Peter was talking about some of his experiences. And at one point during the interview, Shannon's like, wow, Peter, like those, those stories are amazing. Have you ever thought about writing a book? And Peter's like, well, yeah, but I don't have time and blah, blah, blah. And in my head, cause I wrote for newspapers. So I, I I'm a writer and I was just kind of like, I could totally write that book. Like, I know I could write that book. So I, I, when we went off, I phoned Peter up and I said, you know, I could write that book for you. And he's like, oh, well, okay. And then so I messaged Shannon back and I'm like, so are you serious about a book? Because she had just launched Beyond the Fray Publishing at that point. She's mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, yeah. So that's what we did for the summer of 2020 is I interviewed Peter all summer and then I wrote the, his, his story as a book. And then it was published um, just before Christmas of 2020 um, and sold really well and people really liked it. And it has a lot of just really good anecdotes and theories about it. And I tell a bit of my story and then how we launched the documentary series sort of at the end of it. And it was a lot of fun to write. And that kind of led to the second book, which was an investigator's archive, which I mentioned earlier, too, which was telling just different paranormal investigators and filmmakers' stories and what got them into it and what they think is going on. And we talked, you know, Ken Gerhard, you know, Seth Breedlove of Small Town Monsters, um, you know, Kieran O'Keefe, who's a parapsychologist out of the UK and has been on TV shows like, you know, uh, Haunted, I can't remember the exact name of it, but a number of them, Paul Bradford, who was on, you know, Ghost Hunters International. And so just telling their different stories and experiences.
0: Now that this book is out, are you working on anything else that you want us to know about?
1: We've begun, well, we haven't begun, but we, we've got a contract for another book and we're going to focus on residential hauntings and kind of, because there's a way when you investigate There's we investigate like, you know, historical sites and commercial buildings and people's homes. And there's a way when you, you investigate a haunting in someone's home that you just do it a bit differently because it's people live there and they have to live with whatever's there. So we're going to write a book. You know, One part of it is the methodology and how we approach it. And then the other half will be just sort of talking about different residential haunting cases that we've been involved in and how we approach them and what the end result was, if there was one. So we're, kind of, we're going to start writing that at the end of the summer and then hopefully have it finished by the end of the year so it could come out early 2023.
0: That's great. Your new book is on Amazon. Is it out only in Kindle or is it out in hardback Or paperback as well.
1: Yeah, there's a paperback uh, version of it there. So Kindle and paperback um, on uh, any Amazon site that you want to check check out. And uh, yeah, so far we're really happy with it. We've got a lot of good feedback from people. People really seem to enjoy it. It's still selling really well. Um, And it's just it was really a different book to research and write. And it really I know for me it changed my perspective on things quite a bit. And from people who've read it, they really enjoy just this different insight and getting a different look at how the world works.
0: Do you have a website or is it mostly based off your Facebook page?
1: Mostly based off of Facebook. So we have um, a lot of the work I do is on YouTube at the Paranormal Network Mm -hmm. and also on Facebook, which is uh, the Paranormal Network. But if you search out, you know, at Paranormal Headquarters, it'll come up. And then, of course, the books are through Beyond the Fray Publishing.
0: Is that Beyond the Fray or Beyond the Frame?
1: Beyond the Fray. So, like, you know, there's into the fray. Well, this is beyond the fray, okay. kind of thing. Yeah, F R A Y. Yeah, right. beyond the fray. Publishing. It's my Canadian accent might be changing it a little bit. <laughs> well,
0: I wasn't sure. I was just like, maybe I'm not hearing that correctly. So I just thought I'd ask. I, I felt like it was beyond the fray, but I was like, maybe I better ask.
1: <laughs> no, I appreciate that.
0: All right. Well, before we finish up, can you leave us with one last positive message?
1: I think, like, with anything, like, with like all the near-death experiences, in the end, were very positive very positive experiences. No one left feeling frightened. You know what I mean? They all look very much, and they all look at the world very differently and through a very positive lens that sort of the world we're in right now, with the way society is set up is not what what the point is. The point here is to be good to each other, to be accepting of each other and to approach each other with sort of love, kindness and compassion. And I think I had a lot of trouble with that before writing this book, but I definitely know that I've written it. That's how I look at things too. um, Because we're all in this together. And, and that's the big thing is like when we all die, we all end up together again anyways. So maybe just approach your day and the people you meet differently and with a little bit more kindness. And you know, a lot of people are struggling right now. And I think that's just the best way. Don't get mad at them. Don't try to cancel them. Just try to understand where they're coming from and uh, give them a little compassion back.
0: I think that's a great message. Jason, thanks for being my guest today. I appreciate you and I wish you massive success in whatever you're doing.
1: Thanks so much, Jeff. It's been a pleasure.